Hello, and welcome to the Church on the Hill podcast. If you enjoy this podcast, we invite you to join us live this Sunday at 500 Sands Drive in San Jose, California. Visit churchonthehill.com for service times and directions, and also to learn more about connecting, growing, and serving at Church on the Hill. Now let's join lead pastor Scott Simarok as he teaches at Church on the Hill. Glad you're with us. You will need your notes. There's a lot of scripture I want to walk us through today. There's some really important things. Some things that you, you folks have never done. I guarantee you there's some things that you have not done. We're going to talk about today and it can actually unlock um, your, your relationship with God in a brand new way. We've been in this series called Rooted. It's about practicing the, the practices, these rhythms, these seven rhythms of the early church. And each week we're kind of introducing a new one to you. But this is really, really important. I mean, it's January, right? And I'm introducing these new rhythms, these new habits, these new practices. And the last thing I want is this. I don't, I don't want these to feel like New Year's resolutions. Oh, it's January. We're going to start a, a New Year's resolution. You know what the top four New Year's resolutions are of all time? Three of them deal with health. One of them deals with finances. What are the top three? Yeah, lose weight is number three. You're going to do something more. Exercise more, yeah, and uh, you're going to do something else according to food. You're going to eat healthier, yeah, and always stay away from the diet word. It's a lifestyle. <laughs> We're going to exercise more, eat healthier, and that's going to lead to number three, lose weight. And then the fourth one is a financial one. What is it? <laughs> something about letting your wife cover the checkbook, right, whatever. It's actually save more. I know that somebody was going to say like, I'm going to make more money this year, right? No, no, no. That's not actually the goal because we know what happens when we make more money, right? All of a sudden our house feels smaller. Our cars feel older and our Amazon list is, is not long enough, right? We just spend more money. So the, the fourth goal is New Year's resolution is always like save more money, right? You know who makes these resolutions? About 38.5% of U.S. adults set New Year's resolutions. I found this fascinating. 59% of the people that set New Year's resolutions, they're between the ages of 18 and 34. What's wrong with 35 and older? You've just given up. And here's why you've given up. Who succeeds at New Year's resolutions? 24% of people quit in the first week. Right? It's going to be February 1st in just a day or two here. So, um... 64% quit by February 1st. You know how many people succeed? 9%. That's it. That's a horrible success rate. So in January, we say, hey, the Rooted Series, here's seven, seven spiritual practices, seven rhythms that we find in the book of Acts, chapter 2. We're going to start practicing these things. It might feel like a New Year's resolution, and your question is, how long is this going to last? Am I going to fail at it? And the one we're talking about today is this, prayer. I mean, it's, it's the one where almost all of us feel inadequate. Like, you all know stories about how people pray for so long, and their, their prayers answered, and you're like, it's just not me. Like, I'm just not great at praying. And so I want to make sure that this today doesn't feel like another New Year's resolution that we're setting you up to fail at. So can I give you permission to not be perfect? L listen to this. You might be surprised by this. But a lot of churches, a lot of Christians, when they read Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47, they read it and go, look, there's the perfect church. 
They were daily devoted to the apostles' teaching. They met every day. They were committed to prayer. They gave generously. And you're like, oh, that's the perfect church. And anything short of that is just failure. I want to show you something. I want to show you how that church wasn't perfect. Because here's the truth. There are no perfect churches. Let me just give this to you. In Acts chapter 2, we find that there were 120 followers of Jesus. They'd been with them for three years give or take some time. And all of a sudden, there's 3,000 believers who come to faith in Jesus. And then we know that the number grew to 5,000. Listen to this. You had a church in Jerusalem that grew so rapidly that the majority of people are not mature believers of Jesus, which is why they had to gather today that a short period of time while they're in Jerusalem, because a lot of them did not live in Jerusalem, to learn about Jesus and what it meant to follow him. So this is not a perfect church. This is actually a church that is in the honeymoon phase. You know what I'm talking about? You've been in a relationship that's the honeymoon phase, right? Everything's just great. It's perfect. Oh, it's awesome. There's no problems. But you don't even realize how imperfect it really is. Let me point out a couple of things that were imperfect. Number one, there are all kinds of immature believers. Um, their daily gatherings, how they gathered every day, Eventually, that would turn into weekly gatherings. In Acts chapter 20, it says, on the first day of the week, we came together to break bread. That became the rhythm of the church. Because if, if you really say, Acts chapter 2, oh, it's the, the perfect church. Well, they met daily. Well, I guess I'll see you here Monday and Tuesday. And wait, wait no, 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 you all got to work, right? Not only that, but you got to build relationships with people out here. You can't be here every day. The third thing, their spontaneous giving became a weekly routine. You remember it says that they sold their possessions and their property and they gave to people who had need? That was not actually the sustainable norm. In 1 Corinthians chapter 16, it says, now about the collection for the Lord's people. Do what I told the Galatian churches to do on the first day of every week. Each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income, saving it up so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. He's like, just take care of it once a week. Now, I would say this, take care of it when you get paid. Give God the first of everything. We can go to other scriptures to talk about that. I just want to show you this, that what they did in Acts chapter 2 wasn't the sustainable thing. The fourth thing, and this is, I think, maybe the most eye-opening about how imperfect the church was. I'm going to say it this way. That church did not understand their mission. What was the mission that Jesus gave them? I want you to go and make disciples of all nations, not just this nation, all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. Jesus gave them that. And then in Acts chapter 1, he, he clarifies this mission. He says, you're going to be my witnesses. You're going to talk about my death and resurrection in Jerusalem, in all Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And I'll tell you this, that church in Jerusalem didn't have a clue as to what that meant. Like, Pastor, how, how do you know that? Is that just speculation? Get this. In Acts chapter 10, Peter gets this vision about this guy who, who is calling him, and he, his name is Cornelius. He's called to this Roman centurion. Who's, he goes to his house, and I can't tell you the whole story. We won't have time for that. But, you know, there's this sheet that comes down out of heaven. This is his vision. There's animals that all the Jewish people knew were unclean. And this voice from God says, Peter, go and eat. And he's like, no, 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 I would never eat. Of that, because God, you told me in our Jewish scriptures, the Old Testament, that we shouldn't do that. Uh, Cornelius, this Gentile, he's not, a, he's not a Jew. Peter shows up to his house, and Peter 
He makes this statement in Acts chapter 10. And before I tell you the statement, I want to clarify something. When did Acts chapter 10 happen? Not when was it written. When did it happen? In all timelines that I have researched on this, it is somewhere around 10 years after Jesus left the earth. 10 years after Jesus gave him the mission that said, go and tell the whole world about me. He, he did that around 30 AD. This happened in about 40 AD. And Peter says this, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. I'm sorry, what? You at that moment, you had this aha moment like, oh, I just realized that God is not for just the Jewish people. I, did, I, I never knew that when he said go into all the nations, I thought he meant to go, go to all the nations and talk to all the Jewish people about who I am. That's literally what Peter's mindset was. And for the first time, 10 years after God gave him the mission, he's like, oh, I never quite saw it that way. But in the Acts chapter 2 church, all of that existed. You know what they didn't have in that church? They didn't have diversity. It was a group of Jewish believers that were converting to this Christian faith. Number five, they actually enjoyed the favor of all the people in, the, in Jerusalem. You remember that, how that story ends? Well, they enjoyed the favor of all the people for a while. Chapter six, this guy Stephen stands up, gives a speech, and the, the Jewish authorities don't like it. They take him out and kill him. And there's this statement then in Acts 8.1. It says, on that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. Scholars have actually thought this. They were all getting pretty comfortable in Jerusalem. They weren't going out to Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. You know what drove them out of the city to spread this gospel, to do the mission that God called them to? Suffering and persecution. They're like, ah, they're coming to kill us. We should go to Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. They enjoyed favor of all the people. For a while, beware of the person that says, hey, you know what? If we really were the Acts 2 church, then the community around us would love us. They might not because they might firmly disagree with the message of Jesus. The, the last one, six, this deals with prayer. Um, did you know that that Acts 2 church, they still prayed according to the old Jewish traditions? Here's what's quoted in Acts chapter 2. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to, what does your Bible say? And to, to prayer? Is that what it says? It's actually, that's not how the Greek is actually written. It is plural, and, and there's this definite article before it. So it says they devoted themselves to the prayers. The very next chapter, what are Peter and John doing when they heal that blind guy that we talked about last week? They are going to the temple to to pray. They had taken all of the Old Testament prayer requirements and they're just implementing, hey, I'm going to go talk to God. And they haven't given up this concept of, of not going to the temple to pray. It was like, well, let's gather together as, as a group of believers. We can pray whenever we want, right? But they were still participating in all of these Jewish rhythms of prayer. And it hadn't become to full maturity and how they followed Christ at this point. Now, why do I tell you all of this? I just want you, I want to show you that the original church, they weren't perfect, but they did have some great spiritual rhythms to them. So when I look at Acts chapter two, when you read about this church, listen, let's just kick off perfectionism. It didn't exist in that church. It doesn't exist in this church. It doesn't exist with me and it doesn't exist with you. 
So let's not worry about being perfect. Can we simply do this? Can we engage in these seven rhythms and see what God might have for us? That's what the Rooted series is about. I'm not telling God what he should do. I'm just trying to do these rhythms along with you, and I just want to see what God might do. So with that kind of freedom, here's what I want to talk about prayer. Most of us know prayer is this. Prayer is about, we're going to inform God about some stuff he might not be aware of, right? Come on, this is how you pray. This is how we pray. God, right now, and you start telling him, like, what's going on in life? God, I got a test this week. And God's like, oh, forgot about that one. God, I got this boss at work. And oh, 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 yeah, yeah. I, sorry, I got a lot going on the other side of the world. I totally forgot about the boss at work. Like, we pray like we're informing God. The truth is we're talking about our lives and our world, which is great. I'm not saying don't do that. I think we should. The same way that when you gather with your family, you just talk about what's going on in your world. It's not just so that they can know. It's so that you and your heart, you're clarifying what is happening in your world. So they might actually speak back into your world. And then prayer for us is not just informing God about the things going on that he might have missed, but then we give him our laundry list. God, here's what we'd like you to do in my kids and my wife and in our jobs and our finances. Like, yep, I'm just praying for all these people. And then we say amen, right? I'm not going to tell you how to do that because you guys are pros at that. I don't even have to tell you how to pray when there's a big need in your life. I don't have to explain that to you. You're already great at it, right? Me too. I want to talk about the one area that we're not really good at, and it's this. Prayer is listening for God's voice. It's not all it is, but it's the part that we really don't do well. Now, we may be thinking this. The Bible, the, the Word of God, this is how God speaks to us, and I totally agree with that. You've heard me teach that again and again and again. One of our strongest values at our church is tattered Bibles. We say it this way. We've been wearing out Bibles since 1850. That's how long this church has been here. And sometimes we think, like, this is how God speaks to us. So when we pray, this is how I speak to him. No, 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 no. Prayer is a conversation where we speak to God, but then we pause and we listen and he speaks back to us. So let me just give you some examples. Number one, prayer was Jesus's way of hearing from God. Luke, I love what he writes. Luke 5, 16, he says, but Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. I mean, it's Jesus. It's God's son. He's fully God and fully human, all in one. And his rhythm, his habit was to get away from the voices around him and go and be with his father. Now, it's interesting. You're like, well, maybe he just talked to God. Well, Luke chapter six, the very next chapter says this. One of those days, Jesus went out to the mountains to pray and spent the night praying to God. When morning came, he called his disciples to him and he chose 12 of them whom he designated apostles. Now, can you see Jesus? He gets away to the mountains. He's there all night. He has a conversation. He's like, dad, I know I'm supposed to pick your team tomorrow, but I'm kind of looking over the guys you gave me and uh, I'm not real confident like who the top 12 are. And it's not because they're all amazing. It's because nah, no one's rising to the surface. God, they're all knuckleheads. Like, so, so who do you want? Now, forgive the, the freedom of interpretation from this verse, but in the midst of this, Jesus, what is clear is he just spends all night with his father. 
and he prays. And in the morning, he comes down and says, here's the 12. Now, I don't think for a second that Jesus, like, it took him all night. He's like begging his father, like, oh God, come on, come on. The sun's almost up. Would you just give me the 12 names right now? I think Jesus just enjoyed the night with his dad. Dad, what's going on up there? What's going on around the world? Dad, I know you see everything that is happening around here right now. And I think he's just enjoying time because he trusts his, his good, good father who's going to give him the wisdom he needs the moment he needs it. But what I can tell you from these verses is Jesus went away to spend the night with his dad talking, listening, and when he came out of that, he had an answer for tomorrow. I wonder if that might be a model for us. Let me give you an image. Open your Bibles to John 10. This is where we're going to stay the rest of the the morning. There's this image that I want us to have so that we could clearly in our minds um, enter prayer this week. And uh, for some of you, if you're engaged in a group and you're following along in the Rooted series, this week or maybe next week, depending on when your group meets, um, you're going to have, you're invited to do a prayer experience. Like, what's a prayer experience? Well, um, the full experience is this, is like we fast. We, we don't eat one or several meals before that. And then you gather together with your group and you're going to pray together for just a short period of time. And then you're going to have some solitude, just you your Bible, your journal, and God. You're gonna have 60, 90 minutes to spend alone with God. Some of you have never done this in your life. You know that we do this every year with our high schoolers on the houseboat trip, but we don't do 60, 90 minutes because, man, it's just way too short. They do three to four hours. Now, granted, a couple of them are like catching an hour of sleep in the middle of that, right? but we give them three to four hours because none of them have ever done that kind of time with God. And so that's the exercise coming up. And I want you to have this image in your mind. I want you to imagine this. There's an open hillside. It's actually fairly desolate. Around Jerusalem, it's a lot of rocky slopes. There's not a lot of grass-filled hills. But on this night, uh, in order to protect his sheep, there's this shepherd. And he builds a pen, and these pens are usually already built. What they are is, you know, sheep aren't like gazelle. I mean, they don't jump real high. I know, like, you're counting sheep, and in your head, they're, like, jumping really high in the middle of the night, right? They don't really jump, right? So the wall of stones that are stacked up are pretty short. But there's a circular enclosement where, where the, the rocks are just piled up, and the shepherd would lead his sheep in there. And then the opening where the sheep went in, he'd just kick it. He would lay down and nothing goes in or comes out without him knowing it because that shepherd is actually the gate of the sheep pen. Are you with me right now? So in John 10, 7, look at your scriptures here. It says, very truly, I tell you, I'm the gate for the sheep. And everybody's like, oh, we know what it is in the hillside, the, the pens, like how the shepherd lays across. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I'm the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. Would you just underline that phrase, will be saved? They will come in and they'll go out and they're going to find pasture. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I've come that they may have life. And I love how he says that. And have it to the full or have it abundantly might be your translation. Now, it's super critical that we understand what what he's saying in this context because people, they misinterpret this all the time. Who is he talking to? 
Look at chapter 10, verse 1. Very truly, I say to all of you, anybody? Pharisees. He's talking to a group of religious leaders. This is a message to them. And you have to know the context. Chapter 9, the whole chapter previous to this, Jesus heals this guy who's blind. And these Pharisees, they failed to give Jesus credit for the miracle. And they failed to see him as the son of God. And so he says, okay, Pharisees, I I just want you to get this. I have a message for you. I'm the gate. No one is saved unless you go through the gate. He's making it super clear. He's making an exclusive claim about who gets to heaven and who experiences life with God down here. He's saying, once again, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. He would state that just a little bit later on in the book of John. So in the midst of this, that's our context. But in the midst of that story, there's something that happens that I want to put my finger on. In verse 3, he says, the gatekeeper opens the gate for him. Now, God is, and so Jesus actually starts mixing his metaphors because he says, I'm the gate, but then he's going to say in just a moment, he says, I'm also the shepherd and not just any kind of shepherd. I'm the good shepherd. And Psalm 23 that we read earlier comes to mind. And he says, the gatekeeper opens the gate for him and the sheep listen to his voice, the shepherd's voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he's brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them and his sheep follow him because of what? Because they know his, yeah, they know his voice, but they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize the stranger's voice. In the midst of this story, it gets repeated again and again that the sheep listen to and recognize the voice of this good shepherd. So prayer, number two. I believe it's this, it's as much prayers, as much listening to God as it is speaking to him. Now, let's be super clear about this because someone will speak about this in mystical terms and I don't like that. I like the clarity of things. I will tell you this, this is not about trying to listen to an audible voice of God. Pastor, I've been trying to hear God's voice for years and I just never hear it. Hey, Steve. Like, I would say this, to be very, very clear. I think the primary way that God speaks to us is actually through his word. But you're like, well, is that an audible voice? No, I think it's this. I think it's conviction. It could be a thought. I, I, I need to call that person. Where did that come from? Or all of a sudden, as you're reading the scriptures, you're finding something about you you're like, I never saw that about me before. That's you listening to the voice of God. I think it actually happens in multiple ways. Sometimes as we're attuned to God in prayer, I think we get these gut checks about maybe things we've done wrong. I think we sometimes get thoughts that really weren't from us. They were actually from God. And I'm going to tell you this. You will not be good at this at the beginning. And I'll get to why in just a moment. It's not something that all of a sudden you wake up one day and, oh, you know, I just, all of a sudden I heard the voice of God and it was like super easy. Maybe that's your story. What I know from most people's stories, my own story is this, it comes through practice. 
It comes through repetition of saying, God, is that your voice? Is that a nudge of the spirit, if you'll let me call it that? See, I don't think it's just God speaking through his words. I think as we have a conversation, a thought might come to mind, a person might come to mind, a situation, a conviction, and that is God speaking to you. Which leads to this question. How do you know you're actually hearing God's voice and not your own voice? That's a great question. How do you know you're, you're actually hearing God's voice and you're not hearing your mom or dad's voice? How do you know you're not hearing your friend's voice or your pastor's voice or someone else's voice and it really is God speaking to you? Um, I think the truth is this. We all have something on us right now that represents the voices that we hear. And it's this, right? I I guarantee every single person in this room right now has a phone on them. And this is the voice that speaks to you. People call you, they text you, they message you. Some of you, your phone's been lighting up since I've been speaking and someone's trying to text you right now and you're like, no, 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 I'm not gonna look at it. Uh-uh, okay, (laughs) that can wait. But it's even more than that. This is where we get our news from oftentimes. This is where we get our our music from. And sometimes we select our music, sometimes we don't. This is where we watch everyone else's social media success stories. Right? Because no one posts their failures. I love it when other people post their failures, like gym failures. Those are one of my favorites. Where people try to work out and they hurt themselves. You're like, that's so funny. So it's just, sorry, I'm twisted. But man, you can look at this for a long time and be like, oh, that's, that's amazing, or that's funny, or that's, I don't know, maybe that makes you cry or sad. Can I just say that this shapes the voices that we listen to? And I, I, I don't know what kind of voices yours sound like. My, mine sometimes sound like this. all about me, right? I mean, my world revolves around me. It's just so good. But then sometimes in my life, we're like, oh, oh, wait, 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 wait. Oh, yeah, God. Yeah, yeah, I know. It's totally noisy in here. I can't hear you right now, but um, I totally want to talk to you. Um, so say it again. Yeah, I know, I know, I know, I know. Oh, one more time. I didn't catch that last part. Oh, hang on, hang on, hang on. Oh, that's so much better. I'm sorry. It was just noisy on man, my end. A lot of voices going on in my head. Yeah. So you were saying, oh, there's somebody who, who bought a rooted book. Yeah. And they haven't opened it yet. And they're sitting where? <laughs> I'm just playing. <laughs> Everyone over here is so mad at me right now. They're actually sitting over here. It's okay. It was, I use that as an illustration that you all get it, that there's voices you listen to from your family, from your friends, from media, from everything. And yet to hear the voice of God means this. We have to somehow hit the pause button, hit the stop, put these voices that we hear at a distance. So if you're taking notes, I just want you to get this. Prayer is learning to place noise at a distance. And I'm just saying this, like these phones aren't bad. They're not negative, 
necessarily always. I'm, I'm not being like, oh, it's the world. You should all get rid of your phones. I'm not. Some great things and voices that could encourage us. But when we replace those voices for the voice of God, and we don't turn it down long enough to hear from God, the scriptures, Psalm 37 says this, be still, be still before the Lord and wait for him. And do not fret when people succeed in their ways. This is filled with all the ways that people have succeeded and they post their videos, right? And you get stressed about, I'm never going to measure up to that. Be still, not just like, You know how hard this is? Have you ever tried to quiet what happens between your ears? You see, for me, social media pictures are running through my head and they're scrolling and there is not a stillness to my mind. It is just a constant running over and I know that you're like me in this. Do you ever have trouble quieting your mind before God? Just saying, God, I'm, I'm here to listen. The fourth thing is that prayer is adjusting my voice. Can I be real honest with you? My voice is one of insecurity. There's moments where I feel like I am not enough. My voice to myself in my own head is a voice of uncertainty. God, I don't know the right way or the direction. My, My voice in my head is a voice of bias. God, I don't like this or I do like that. My voice in my head sometimes is self-aggrandizement. Like, yes, I can do anything. It's so weird to go from insecurity to that. But maybe you identify with that. My voice says, you better hustle or else. My voice reminds me of my brokenness. What does your voice tell you? God's voice says, Scott, you're loved. My, my, God's voice in my head and in, in these scriptures say that I'm not just loved by him, but I am saved, I am justified, I am made clean by his death on the cross. But is that the voice that resonates in my head? Or do I listen to something else in my head? God's voice to me says, you are capable because of my spirit that lives inside of you. Is that the voice that keeps playing in your head or is there a different voice there? Because we got to learn to silence the other voice and listen to the voice of God in this. It it says in Psalm, uh, Proverbs 3, 7, it says, Don't be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. Don't think that your thoughts are the best thoughts. you got to grab after God's thoughts. And the fifth and final thing is just prayer is learning to amplify God's voice. I was writing this, and we'll pull it up on the the screen here. It won't be in your notes if you want to jot this down. I just thought this was so great. God's voice must be amplified, discerned, leaned into. It has to be isolated so that we can listen to it. That means shutting other things off. It has to be heated. It has to be received. And maybe most important, it has to be obeyed. The goal of listening to God is not to be smart. It's to be obedient. It's to be mature. And then I would say this, God's voice must be amplified, discerned, leaned into, isolated, heated, received, obeyed by putting the protective wall of solitude, scripture, and community around us. Like, oh, what does that mean? C.S. Lewis, um, no, I'm sorry, Henry Nouwen, he, he wrote this. He said, by selectingly, selecting a particular scripture verse, that means like when you get alone to be with God and you grab your Bible, you start there with God. He says this, you create a safe wall around your heart that will allow you to pay attention. 
Reading and reciting a sacred text is not meant to fill up your empty space or limit your spiritual thoughts, but here it is, but set up boundaries around you. It can still your soul. I think in John 10, 27, it simply says this, and maybe this is the thing that will just, I want you to walk away with. My sheep listen to my voice. Um, so how are you doing at listening to his voice? How are you doing at setting up solitude and prayer? How are you doing at tuning your ear to distinguish God's voice from all the voices that are rattling around in your head and all the voices that are surrounding you? I I will tell you, you will not be good at this overnight, but through repetition, through the Spirit of God enabling you, you will learn to hear the voice of God. So can I just give you three quick things that maybe you'll do? First of all, I, I hope that you will practice this. I hope that you will join us in this rooted series, in this exercise of prayer. I know it's going to be super easy. Um, That's the one I'm not going to be able to do. We all stay away from things we're not good at. Embrace it. So number one, I want you to write down in your rooted book what you're hearing, sensing, reading, and thinking. When you're alone with God in the morning, you open that rooted book. And it's not about the rooted book. It's about the scriptures in there. It's about being with God. What do you sense him saying to you? Write it down. Second thing is this. Take a bold step and share it with your group. If you're not in a group, share it with somebody else. Share what it is you think God is speaking to you, and it will confirm for you whether it sounds like the voice of God. The third is this. Obey it. Just put it into action. What you sense God is saying to you. Now, if somebody asked you today, hey, last week, you opened that Rudy book, you spent time with God, What was he saying to you? Question, what would you write down today, right now, this moment? Like, what is it that God is speaking to you? Do you get what an amazing opportunity God invites us to? To come be with him and hear from him. What a gift. What an opportunity. The one who is our good shepherd who says, when you follow my voice, oh, I will allow you to lay down in green pastures. I will go to a place where your soul is quiet, not restless. I'm the one who's going to lead you into this place that is not just a life. It is the good life, the abundant life, life to the fullest. That's what the good shepherd claims. And he invites us to do that. So what's he saying to you? Would you listen to him? I'm going to give you a chance to do that right now. Let's bow our heads and pray. I want to give you just a moment for you to talk to God. If you're going to say one thing to him, maybe you will ask him for something that's the burning thing in your heart. What is the thing that you want to say to him right now? Say it. Assuming that you just spoke your peace to God. The question is, what does he want to say to you? Instead of me praying and closing our time in prayer, I want to close our time by just giving you an opportunity to hear from God. 
What's he saying to you? Listen to the voice, the one who is your good shepherd. 